0: This morning's reading is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The word of God for the people of God.
1: A few months ago, I went to a gathering of a a small group of pastors. There's a a group of pastors who I get together with every now and and then. We have lunch, and we tell stories, and we pray for each other. These are the the friends who carry me through difficult times, and and I try to do the the same for them. Every time we get together, we meet in a different location. Sometimes we we gather at a restaurant. Sometimes we meet at a coffee shop. This particular occasion, we were were meeting at a church. And I'm not going to tell you which church it is. Uh, I'm just going to tell you that it is a, a good church. The church that we were meeting at that day is a church that cares about its community. It's a church that's deeply involved in the lives of its neighbors. At this church, they have this beautiful ministry. Every day, a group of volunteers get together in the morning and they they put together a hot lunch. And then at noon, they open the doors of the church and they invite their entire neighborhood to come in and and have lunch. Many of the people who who eat lunch there each day have have no other home. This is the only hot meal that they're going to have each and every day. It's a a fantastic ministry. I arrived at the church that day just just a little bit before lunchtime. And so people were starting to gather outside the door of the church. They were, were waiting to be let in. And I arrived at the church, I pulled up just as another one of these pastors was also pulling up. We got out of our cars and and said hello to each other. This is a a black pastor who's a friend of mine. He pastors a historically uh, black church. And and, uh, I looked at him and I realized that he was dressed way nicer than I was. He was wearing a a three-piece suit and and a tie and he looked sharp. And, And I was dressed down that day. I was wearing my blue jeans and my Detroit Tigers hoodie. And as we walked up to the door together, I said, man, I really feel underdressed for this lunch. And and we had a giggle about how much nicer he looked than I did. And we got to the door, and I tried to open the door, but we discovered that the door was locked. And one of the people who was standing out there very helpfully said, if you want to be let in, you have to be buzzed in. And so I said, thank you, and I pressed the buzzer. A moment later, a woman came to the door. She was clearly one of the volunteers who helps to put on this lunch. Her sleeves were rolled up, and she had a dish towel in her hands. And she opened the door, and she looked at us, and she said, are you here for the pastor's lunch?" And I said, you bet. And she said, okay, then come on in. And so I walked through the door. And then my friend, the other pastor, he started to walk through the door behind me. But this woman, she suddenly blocked him quick like you would not believe. She moved herself in front of that door and she looked at him and she said, no, no, not you. She said, lunch for the homeless people starts at noon. We'll, we'll let you in when lunch is ready. I was, I was shocked, I was speechless, I was flabbergasted. I, I couldn't understand how this woman would look at me in my blue jeans and my hoodie and assume that I was a pastor. But she looked at my friend in his three-piece suit and assumed that he was, he was homeless. It was clear what was happening. It was clear that she had evaluated the two of us based only on the, the color of our skin. And I have heard about this sort of thing. I know this sort of thing happens. Other friends, other pastors have told me about moments like this. And one of my pastor friends told me About what it's like to, to sit down in the waiting room at the doctor's office and watch as all of the women unconsciously put their hands on top of their purses. Another friend told me what it's like to be pulled over by the police and pulled out of your car and frisked in front of your children because some officer thought you just didn't look like you belonged in a in a certain neighborhood. I've heard I've heard about moments like this. I know that they happen, but I don't usually get to see them happen firsthand. I was I was speechless. I was flabbergasted. I didn't know what to do, but my friend, he knew exactly what to do. Very calmly, very very patiently he explained to this woman that no he was a pastor too. He was also there for the the pastor's luncheon. The woman looked embarrassed and she she stepped out of the way. She let him in as as we were going up the stairs together. I said to my friend, I said, man, I can't believe that. I can't believe that just happened. He shook his head and he said, man, it happens every day. It happens all the time. Now, The last few weeks we've been talking about ways that God's people in the church can resist racism and the power of prejudice. We've learned all of these simple and practical things that we as a church can do to resist racism and prejudice in our, in our society, in our church. We've learned that one of the ways that the church can resist the power of racism is to make sure that our leadership teams and committees are diverse and inclusive. We've learned that one of the ways God's people can resist racism is by making sure that there are are pictures of people of color on the walls of our churches. We've learned that that we can resist racism and prejudice by forming friendships across color lines. We can fellowship and and share meals in one another's homes. We've learned over the last few weeks all of these these practical, simple things that God's people can do to, to resist the power of racism, the power of prejudice. But this morning, we're going to talk about the most difficult battle of all. This morning, we're going to talk about... About the struggle that happens not on the walls of our churches, not in committee meetings. This morning, we're going to talk about the the struggle against racism and prejudice that happens in in our own hearts. In that moment when we see someone and we evaluate them, we make an assessment of who they are based simply on the color of their skin. This morning, we're going to get honest about the fact that that the power of racism and prejudice it doesn't just live in the hearts of people who dress in sheets and burn crosses in front of people's houses. The power of racism and prejudice it touches also the hearts of good people who are members of good churches. It touches the hearts of people who volunteer to make a hot lunch for their homeless neighbors every day. The power of racism and prejudice touches each and every one of our hearts. We are called to fight a spiritual battle in our hearts in those moments when we evaluate people. And that, that battle, that spiritual struggle, that's the battle that the Apostle Paul is talking about in this morning's scripture reading. In today's reading, we have a passage from the Apostle Paul's letter to to the Ephesians. Now, the Apostle Paul was a leader in the early church. He would travel from city to city. Everywhere he went, he would tell the story of God's love in in Jesus. Everywhere he went, he gathered believers together, and he he formed churches. Of all of the churches that the Apostle Paul started, the, the church that he started in Ephesus may have been the most strategically important church of all. Now, the the city of Ephesus had a a special place in the ancient world. The city of Ephesus was was located on the coast of the country that today we call Turkey. In in the ancient world, Ephesus was the place where east and west came together. It was the place where north met south. It was was a place where Asia and Europe and Africa all came together. And people from Asia and people from Europe and people from Africa, they all came to Ephesus by the thousands. They all came to Ephesus for, for the very same reason. One of the great wonders, of the ancient world was located in the city of Ephesus. The, the temple to the goddess Artemis was located in Ephesus. Now, ancient writers who had seen all seven wonders of the ancient world said that the temple of, of Artemis in Ephesus was the, the most magnificent, the most awe-inspiring of all the wonders of the ancient world. It was the largest building in the world at that time. And inside the temple, there was a statue of the goddess Artemis, this huge statue. People believed that this statue had had fallen from the heavens. They believed that it was a gift from the gods. And so people came from all around the world to Ephesus to to pray in this temple, to see this amazing statue. And all of the people who came to to worship and pray to the goddess Artemis in in Ephesus, they all went home with the exact same souvenir. All around the, the temple, there were little booths and stalls and shops, and all of them sold only one thing. All of them sold tiny silver statues, copies of the, the great big statue that was there in the temple. People would visit the temple and then they would buy a little silver statue and they would take it home and they would put it on their altar and they would pray to it along with their, their other idols. The Apostle Paul looked at this city that was, was filled with people from all around the world. He looked at this, this internationally flavored city, this city that was filled with people who were there because they were seeking the gods, because they were seeking the presence and the power of something different divine in their lives. And Paul said, what better place to start a church? He said, if, if the Christian faith can get a foothold in Ephesus, then the Christian faith can spread from Ephesus to every corner of the world. People can take the gospel with them the same way that they, they take those little silver statues. Paul worked hard to start a church in Ephesus. He moved to the city of Ephesus. He lived there for more than two years. And day after day after day, he told the people in the streets, in the marketplace, whoever would listen, he told them the story of of God's love in Jesus. And day after day after day, more and more people came to believe in the power of God's love in in Jesus. A, A church started to take shape. It was a small church at first. But it got bigger and bigger, and it became a church unlike any other church in the world at that time. If you were to visit that church on a Sunday morning and, and look around the pews, you would see you would see a gathering of people that looked like the United Nations. You would see people from every nation on earth, all of them mixed in with each other, all of them there because they were were called there, were drawn there, were bound together by the story of God's love in Jesus. It was this incredible, incredible international church that touched every every skin shade every every nation, every language in in the world. This church, it kept growing and growing and growing until eventually, eventually the people over at the temple noticed this thing that was happening in their city. They noticed that fewer and fewer people were going to visit the temple of Artemis. They noticed that fewer and fewer people were buying these little silver statues. This growing church began to affect the the tourism trade, the local economy there in Ephesus. It made the the leaders of the temple nervous. It made the the, the businessmen who made these little silver statues, it made them angry. And finally, one day, all of that anger and hostility boiled over into violence. And one day at a, a meeting of the guild of the statue makers, a man stood up and he said, Friends, we have a problem he said these followers of of the way of Jesus are are ruining the good thing that we've got going here. They're taking worshipers away from our goddess. They're taking money out of our pockets. Are we going to are we going to stand for this and all of the statue makers together? They shouted, "No!" They shouted, "Great is Artemis!" They shouted, "Great are the Ephesians!" And then the meeting turned into a riot. The the businessmen stormed out of the meeting hall and into the streets. They started rampaging through the streets of the city. And as they went through the streets of the city. They attracted more and more people until they had become a mob. Now there was a mob of thousands of people roaming the streets of Ephesus and they were looking for Christians. They were looking for people who they knew were associated with this church. And finally, they came across a a couple of the leaders of the church, and they grabbed them, they seized them, and they dragged them through the streets. They took them to to the enormous amphitheater that had been built there in Ephesus. Still to this day, if you go to the city of Ephesus, you can see this this huge construction, this massive amphitheater capable of of seating 25,000 people. And by the time they got to the theater, there were enough people in the mob that the bleachers, the stands, were packed. They were filled. 25,000 people crammed themselves into that stadium. All of them were hungry for violence. All of them were were thirsty and shouting for blood. And somebody ran and told the Apostle Paul what was happening. And Paul, of course, in that moment, he wanted to run to the theater. He wanted to, to talk to the crowd. He wanted to try to save the leaders of the church. But his friends talked him out of it. They said, Paul, you're the one they really want. If you show up at the theater right now, you're only going to guarantee that there's going to be bloodshed and violence. And so even though it was difficult for him, Paul stayed away. He, he laid low until it was all over. And miraculously that night, nobody, nobody was hurt. Nobody was killed. Some, some cool-headed city officials managed to calm down the riot and, and break up the crowd. But after that night, the, the city of Ephesus was never the same. The church of Ephesus was, was never the same. The the Christians who lived in Ephesus became afraid. The Apostle Paul left town because he had become such a lightning rod that his presence in the city put everybody in danger. And the Christians in Ephesus, they became afraid of their neighbors. They were afraid to leave their houses, to to walk through the streets of the city. Some of the people in the church took to to wearing armor underneath their robes. Some of them took to carrying swords and daggers with them every time they they left their houses for, for personal protection, And the people of the church in the city of Ephesus, they didn't just fear their neighbors, they also also came to fear each other. The Christians in the church of Ephesus, they did what people always do in moments of anxiety and, and worry and fear. They stopped trusting anybody who didn't look like them. And they started forming cliques and they started clustering together. And so now if you walked into the church of Ephesus on on a Sunday morning and looked around in the pews, what you would see is that the people had had chosen to self-segregate the church Now the Africans sat with the Africans and the Asians sat with the Asians and the Europeans sat with the Europeans and the Jews sat with the Jews. There was now division and mistrust and hostility in the church. And this church, this church that the Apostle Paul believed was crucial to the spread of the Christian faith throughout all the world, this church started falling apart. Paul heard what was happening in the church of the Ephesians and and he couldn't go there. He knew it was dangerous for him to go there but he decided to write a letter. And this letter that we have in the New Testament The letter to the Ephesians, This this is a plea for unity from the Apostle Paul. If you read the letter this afternoon, it won't take you very long. It's only six chapters long. And if you read the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians this afternoon, you'll discover that he uses the same word over and over and over again. Paul says, In his flesh, Christ has broken down the wall of hostility between us and made us one. Paul says, before there were two humanities, but now in Christ we have become one new humanity. Paul says there is one Lord, there is one Spirit, there is one baptism, there is one faith, there is one church. Over and over and over again in this letter, Paul uses that word one. He calls the people to unity, and then he gets to the end of the letter, chapter 6. And in the end of the letter, in chapter 6, the apostle Paul calls the people to battle, but not the kind of battle that they were prepared for. Paul says to the the people of the church of Ephesus, he says, stop being afraid. He says, "Stop putting on armor under your robes. Stop carrying daggers and swords with you when you leave the house." Paul says, "The only armor that you read right now is is the armor of faith." Because our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against our pagan neighbors. Our battle is not against those people sitting in the pews over there. Our battle our battle is a spiritual battle. Our battle is a battle against the powers of darkness and division and prejudice and fear that have infected our hearts. Our battle our battle is against that thing that takes up residence in our heart and tells us it's okay to open the door to some people but close the door to other people our battle is against that thing that lives in our hearts and keeps on trying to sort everybody in the world into either us or them our battle is against that thing in our hearts that wants to judge people based on their appearance paul says we are called to do battle with the spiritual forces of evil that have taken hold of our hearts and paul says it is not an easy battle because the power of racism and prejudice are, is strong, stronger than most of us can handle, Paul says. It's not an easy battle because the voice of racism and prejudice is, is seductive. And once it takes hold, it is hard to get rid of it, Paul says. But, but we believe... We believe that God's power is greater than every power in this world. We believe that God's Holy Spirit is stronger than anything else that can take up residence in our hearts. We believe that God is with us in this battle. We believe that God's victory is assured. So keep on doing battle, Paul says. Be strong in the strength of Christ our Lord. Put on the armor of faith and don't give up. Fight that battle every day, the battle in your own heart, until until God's one new humanity is a reality in our hearts and in the world around us. Let's pray. God, we pray. God, we pray for the day when we will look around and we will see that the one new humanity you are creating in this place has become a reality in all the world. God, we pray that wherever in our hearts, wherever in our minds you find prejudice, wherever you find racism, wherever you find the spiritual powers of evil have taken up residence in us, God, we pray that you would tear them up by the roots, cast them out, Blow them away with your divine wind. God, we pray that a transformation would take place within us, that the world might be transformed without us. These things we pray in Jesus. Amen.